the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. All lines are full. Let me just say this, just to kind of help advance some of the thoughts around it, just in case you didn't see it in the movie. Again, I told you, by way of topography, uh, the geographical implications, we are in the center of uh, humanity, Africa. We are dealing with the Congo. We are dealing with a battle between the... um, European powers and even the ecclesiastical powers that were are either behind the scenes or overtly a part of the pillaging of the rich natural resources of Africa. This still goes on today. People are still dying today for rich minerals. The um, the the juxtaposition of a scene kingdom is that uh, Africa looks ruined. It looks tore up. It looks uh, useless. It looks like it's in uh, disarray and chaos. And yet underlying the uh, area of the overgrown uh, foliage of uh, Waganda is this invisible kingdom. Well, it also represents the church because outwardly the church is in chaos. Outwardly the church is divided. Outwardly the church is in hostile opposition against itself. Outwardly there are wars and battles between churches and even in churches. But there is one real spiritual kingdom in the midst of it all where true believers actually get along and walk at the highest level of honor and dignity and power and grace and the supply of the spirit and and is, in fact, profiting the world by obedience to the gospel. I hope you get that dichotomy because it's true. And this is the only way you can stay in the world, not be of it and stay even in the church. A lot of people pull out of the church. It's only because they see the external ruins and not the internal reality. Hallelujah. Let me go to line number um, line number. I think I'm going to start at line number one and talk with our caller from Stockton. What is your name? Ingerborg. Ingerborg. Okay. It sounds like it's written. How can I help you today? Um, I watched the movie and when I first saw it, I got out of it that he was like a type of Jesus. Yes, and ma'am. I saw the the nephew or the cousin yes. as like um um Lucifer yes ma'am in heaven wanting to take over from God you got it now, so I saw that during the first time I saw it but then as I looked at it the second time too I kind of went back to um, I can't know if it's Sammy or whoever who went looking for the soothsayer to tell him something yeah that was Samuel. And, that was them. That was King Saul. Yeah. That was King Saul. Okay, Saul. Saul went to Samuel to get whatever from her. So when when they put him to sleep the first time, because I did see it the first time as a resurrection. Yeah. But then I thought about it. The priest they gave him something for him to be in that death like state before they buried him. Right. You know what I mean. Right. So my mind went to that at yeah. one point. Yeah. You know. Hmm. Um. So. And then yes, with the um, that stuff they were mining, my mind did go to the oil. Like they robbed and stripped the land, and you know that's what got all that going on. But I also saw the part where so he gave him the stuff to put him to sleep to talk to his father. I thought 
saw that kind of too as an ancestor worship. No, that is exactly it. Was that's not those are the juxtapositions of the movie Ingapore. And if people didn't see that, they need to see that. So I have several of those observations. There is a a juxtaposition. Okay. There is a juxtaposition through the movie politically, culturally, and socially. And you have to know that the fundamental premise of the movie on a social, political, cultural uh, 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 premise is that Africa is the heart of of life, and that while presently the white European world world dominates the world um it still needs the re- the real natural resources of the uh african community in in central africa and that is there is a semblance of the truth there the tension however existing there is that <clears throat> at present there is no reality of a um what we would what we would call a afrocentric uh super intellectual and technological uh science culture that can contribute to the world but what they meant by that in the movie was that you need to treat poor people right because they actually have intrinsic values that can be brought to the table to solve a lot of humanity's problems because even though we can take an atom and split it, what well, we do Af- with it... Right, go ahead. I was going to say, but, but even before that, Africa had things that the Europeans didn't have. That's the whole I mean, point. That's the continent of Africa. Yeah, that's my point. The point is, is that the African the movie is Afrocentric in nature, letting us know that the hostile outside world has always pillaged Africa. Your Bible teaches that that Africa is the resource right. resource of oil, not just oil and minerals and diamonds and jewels and rubies and, and gold and all that. The whole the whole things come from there. And that's everything. Everything. And so that is the underlying social uh, uh, juxtaposition that the movie was trying to get across is that um, to view black people as utterly barbaric and irrelevant and uh, socially uh, insignificant is to be less than humane. And I get that, too. I really do. I really do. But what I discover in our world is that if you left the political systems of this world in power, it views the Christian as the same way as useless as um, purposeless, as really worthy of extermination. And what we are saying is uh, no one that God has created in his image is without natural resources and qualities and giftings to be able to help uh, uh, profit this world if we would respect those gifts in us, whether they are spiritual or whether they are natural. And so you saw a lot of good stuff there, Ingeborg. And can I, I got one more, and I saw in that, on the religious side, though, the gorillas was kind of different from them, like almost like any. They had something going that was against them, but in the end, they saw something to where, hey, we got to help. Remember, he wasn't going to help them, but then at the end, they helped them. Right, because they're actually. Something touched. Yeah, I no, think I don't know. No, you got no, Ingeborg, you got it, girl. You got it. You got it. You on the right track. They're called brethren. They're called brethren. Now, see, yeah. so, so I get beat up a lot when I when I. <laughs> so here's what I'm gonna say, and I've been saying this for years. So, Ingeborg, are you a mother? Yes. Do you have sons? I got sons and grandsons. Okay. All right. So so so. When they were born, they were little monkeys, beautiful little monkeys. And we loved them because monkeys are cute. I have a couple. In fact, I got a bunch now. I got a bunch between my sons and my grandsons. I got a bunch. But as they get older, they turn into gorillas. Would you agree? 
Exactly. <laughs> Powerful, strong, massive. But we just have to help guide their strength in a direction where their strengths can be used for the good of society. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with that, Ingeborg? Yes. <laughs> so I tell the mothers, now you, that little cute little baby you got is going to be a monkey in three to five years. But by the time he's 16, 17, going to be a gorilla. So if you don't have, <clears throat> if you don't have a silverback uh, man in the, in, in, the, in the space there to help him train and guide his powers, he'll do like a lot of our young men in the street without fathers in their lives, uh, exercising their powers in the wrong way. And uh, so and the move. Things even like the elephants. The One, same elephants, thing. You got it. They throw the youth, the youth elephants out. They start running around tearing up everything. You got it, sister. See, we can yeah. we can we can learn from the animals. Bless you. <laughs> Bless you. I got to take a break. Uh, let's see, Naritha. Okay, it was good talking, but yeah. yeah, I saw more you know things in there. But those were my. points I wanted to bring out. Thank you. Bless you. Bless you. Got to take a break. I'll be right back. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. All right, we're back. We are talking about the implications of and the redemptive and spiritual and political and social and geographical um, uh, factors in the book and uh, in, in the movie Black Panther. In fact, the title is uh, significant itself. Got one line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. It is a double entendre. It's probably a triple entendre. Sure, it is going to go back to some degree with the Black Panthers uh, back in the 60s uh, as a, a, a sort of a, a, a rhetorical device to, to get people to watch the movie. But there is a literal Black Panther, as we know. And the, 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 the basic gift and quality of the Black Panther, as God uses him as a type of himself, this is zoomorphism, the Black Panther sits stealthily and watches. The Black Panther has patience. The Black Panther is a solitary beast, creature, predator, uh, the Black Panther uh, resides in places you would not suspect. The Black Panther waits. It, it observes and it waits to pounce on you and take advantage of you. It's one thing to be just a spotted leper. It's another thing to be an invisible Black Panther. Its design is to uh, freak you out and cause you to know that you can't see me until I'm on top of you. And that uh, is that's called PSYOP. For those of you who don't know. So let me go to line number four and talk with Jenny in Oakland. Jenny, are you there? Yes. Yeah, thank Hello. you. Hi, Pastor Jesse. Hey, what's going on? Um, I did see the movie. Okay. A lot of what I noticed was said, but I'll, I'll just go to some different places. Then. Absolutely. Um, so what I saw that was notice- noticeable, notable to me was the she wasn't the queen, but it was like, you know, the queen to be maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. She, She's, she, was, yeah. A, she was a missionary for real. Like she was, she was one of those people that goes out, really draws people in uh, at whatever cost. So I saw that in her. Mm-hmm. Um, at, so if we're comparing it to, to the church, yeah, yep. she was like an evangelist. She's a she great, like it's a great that. example of the church. Great. Your observation there is so critical and so keen and so important too, Jenny, relative to, you know, what I press home to the church. Um, obviously she has his heart, doesn't she? <laughs> but she's also committed to the larger objective of things for which he's in conflict because he understands the need to preserve 
uh, holding on to his father's values. But he she, he also recognizes that um, if he leans too far in the preservation mode, he won't be able to have her. So there is a need for the complementary relationship between the man and the woman to exist in order for the fullness to be manifest. This is what we're going to learn in the WTC. I, 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 I'm so glad that you made mention of that because nobody else did. She is actually a heroine in the movie. She's central to the movie. She's central to the movie because her objective is actually at the foundation of the whole thrust of the movie. Right. Okay. Right. Something else. Give me something else. Give me something else. Um, I got, I have a few. Um, so the, the purple stuff, the purple, purple, <laughs> the purple stuff that he drank. Yeah. Or that he wore. Alive. They, they drank where yeah. they, they were like um, mining it or growing it. Yeah. That was to me, it was interesting for me when the guy wanted to, the, I guess the antagonist, I don't know, the antagonist, there you go. When he wanted to like get rid of all of it. Of course. And that to me, I saw on different levels. I saw that as someone getting rid of Bible. There you getting go. Rid of the Holy Spirit. There you go. Two. Um, ding, 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 ding. Right. Ding, ding, ding. Two things, <laughs> two things. Is any way to being able to spread this gospel, just burn that all out of here. And that, that was very notable you to me. You are cold, girl. You're cold, cold, cold. She got while it. We're on, <laughs> while we're on the line of him, that part for me that was just, I was really struck at when he got to see Wakanda, but not be a part of it. Right. So and like that, that, mm-hmm. that, the sunset or wherever he was watching, he was like, it's beautiful. But then he, he's dead because right. he didn't follow um, you didn't do things the way you were supposed to be, basically, and this is how that ends up. You know, um, now, who your is heart he? wasn't who is right. He? Who is he? Who is he? You were listening Lucifer. to the previous call, <laughs> right, Lucifer? So before you so go, knows, yeah, right, 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 right. I want so you got three in this component. I want you to nail down by thinking it through with me because this is our theology, this is our gospel, this is our epistemology, this is our worldview in spiritual dimensions. Mm-hmm. Be now, mm-hmm. you know, there is a slight sort of uh, of uh, of uh, Latter Day Saints Mormonism component there, but mm. n- notwithstanding, because they assert Lucifer as being the blood brother of Jesus. The point here is he was his cousin, physically his cousin. Um, But he is Lucifer in the sense that he feels like he has a right to the kingdom. He doesn't. He he challenges Christ to the throne. There is a temporary loss of a Christ type in the prince, only temporarily, and that typifies the cross, as you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, And yet what the prince does with him is one of the ethics in the movie that you don't hardly ever see in any of the present day movies. And this is part of the Afrocentric objective in the movie that people will miss if they are not looking for gospel truth in it. The the people of Uganda are always merciful and gracious to yes, their adversaries. I was gonna say, yes. Always yeah, merciful right, right. and gracious to their adversaries. Always merciful yeah. and gracious to their adversaries. And that is gospel. That is gospel. Uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, a life for a life is the law. It is legalism. Mm-hmm. It is the hostility of the carnal man. It is the natural kingdom. The juxtaposition of this movie is that there is a superior way of life that um, can overcome and dominate the historical long, uh, you know, 
predatorial systems of our political world, i.e. Uh, European uh, colonialism, which seeks to just mm-hmm. dominate, pillage, destroy. And then while it walks away, it turns around and looks at the c- d- decay and chaos that it has wreaked and says to the world, see, you don't want to be like that. When in reality, underlying the chaos are those who actually are willing to be more noble than them. And that's the nature of the gospel. That's why I depicted mm-hmm. um, the uh, the poor peoples of the world who are taking advantage of, whether it's in Peru, Central America, Africa, India, this, this goes on. The movie is not uh, popular with our larger elite aristocratic colonialist uh, uh, Eurocentric people. It is not popular to them mm. because the implications are clear for people who know uh, political science and understand history. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah. Bless you. Bless you, child. Bless you. Let me go to line number two and talk with Narita in Oakland. Narita, are you there? I'm here. Hi, Pastor. How you doing? I'm well in yourself. Good, good, good. Tell me what you saw in this movie that would um, be helpful to our discussion. Well, what a Melody brought up, but I was going to actually go to uh, Philippians 2 because that's what I saw when, you know, God had to hide his, hide his you know, deity or who he was. Yeah. And he humbled himself. But I'm not going to go over that because you already explained it, but I was coming out of there. But I saw, as far as political, was where... When the king was addressing the different people of the nation, yes, and he said, "We're going to build." He said, "Instead of building walls, we're going to build bridges." Right. And to me, that stood out because that's what we should want to do. Right. Is build bridges instead of walls. Right. That's the and that, oh. that applies to what's going on with us now, and I'm gonna leave it at that. But then also when the king had came back and they were fighting, remember when he, I don't know if you saw it, but remember when he, uh, the final blow when he stabbed him? Yeah. And he was talking to him and he said, my father said I would have to see Kawanda and how beautiful it was and how he helped him up and took him to the cliff. And he overlooked to see how beautiful it was. But one thing he said, the king said to him, he says, we could probably heal you. Mm-hmm. To me, there was forgiveness there already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was healing. Mm-hmm. But he rejected it. It's, it's kind of like when we go out on and one to witness. Yeah. It's kind of like people either going to accept the gospel and um, have life or either they'll reject it and have death. He chose death. Agreed. Life. Agreed. And we already identified him as the Antichrist, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. we identified him as Satan, which means um, uh, in the um, in the celestial dimension, he would have never, ever wanted life because he was always no. he felt always entitled. And he was so bent mm-hmm. in his anger and hostility towards the prince um, that even if the prince offered him forgiveness, which that is not a gospel narrative in the celestial sense, God doesn't offer Satan or the fallen angels forgiveness. They don't get that um, because to whom much is given, much is required. And and so in the movie, however, what is taking place there is the underlying ethic running through the movie that forgiveness must be 
a tenor of the life of people who walk in a more noble and superior way because that's the way of the gospel. And that's the only way we can stop wars and conflicts and this, you know, I want at the throne type of thing, which goes on in, in local regions and in small communities and among brothers and sisters and all of that. That is a very fundamental principle to the movie that I thought was absolutely excellent. And it's unique to the movie too, Noretha, because most of our um, other um, hero movies and war movies and action movies and things like that just kill off their foes without even you know any 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 qualms about it. Necks breaking, heads off, explosion bombs, and all that does uh, in our society is promote more anger and more hostility and more callous, cold, pathological behavior. No gospel in it at all. And another thing, even with the mother, you know, she kind of had a, like a haughty attitude for a while there. She really did. Human. And then when, you know, the son was uh, killed, she had to humble herself. Yeah. Yeah. And she... go to uh, the other brother and ask them for sanctuary somewhere to stay. Right. And because that's... Yeah. they didn't have, they had to flee for their lives. Yep. Yeah. So she had to humble herself. Right. To that brother. Right. Without you a know. doubt. Without a doubt. That's, and... that, that would be national Israel. Mm-hmm. That would and, be national. Another part was when he went back the second time and he was talking to his father. He let his father know that you were wrong in what you did. Right. Right. You know, it's kind of like the gospel. If we don't go out there and share, we're wrong. Right. But not sharing the gospel. Right. And the father in that context is the law. So so you mm-hmm. you have a law grace paradigm. That's the tension there. Uh, the old law system was an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, self-preservation. The father was, he did make a mistake and he admitted it though. See, what I love yeah. about the movie is that the movie did not, uh, it did not exercise a kind of hagiog which is kind of whitewashing people's um, history, because in a lot of our, our historical books, they whitewash the, the deeds of people and not show them as fallible and as weak and as sinful. Even in this movie, the father is viewed as having made a mistake. And when the son comes to him and challenges him on it, um, the father admits it. But he did it for what he thought was the best good of the people. And and so I, I love right, it. Thanks. I love it. I love it because we're dealing with honor here. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Bless you, sister. Bye-bye. All right. Let Bye-bye. me see here. I'm going to go to one more before I go to a break. Let me see. Let me see. I'm going to go to Catherine in Vallejo, line number three. Catherine, are you there? Catherine? I am. I am. How are you? I'm good. I uh, enjoyed what I heard so far because, you know, when I've seen the movie two times, I didn't really... You know, even though there was spiritual significance in it, or uh, uh, I didn't see it like that. I was just enjoying the movie. Yes. Uh, but, you know, I enjoyed the conversations this afternoon on the spiritual insight that they they pulled from the movie. I said, oh, wow, I didn't get all of that. But as they started talking, I started seeing it. But the sister before me uh, basically said what I was going to say when he went back to, uh, to, to to talk to his ancestors the second time, uh, you know, like I see it as you know when we when we when we when we when we, when we go over we cross over, we will be um, received or we'll be with our loved ones who, who went on before us in Christ. Yeah, and so they were they were coming to meet him, but he said, "No, I, I, I'm not ready. I have to go back." Yeah, he wasn't ready. He he wanted to go back and undo or correct what his what the, the previous 
ancestors had done. So she basically took my uh, uh, my statement. But I'm enjoying everything that I hear tonight. Yeah, and 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 what you're stating is so very true. She didn't flesh that out that way, but I'm glad because my purpose was for us to have a conversation about it all the way through, Catherine. And so I'm going to take up with you for a few minutes before I go to a break. Is that um, um, the movie is filled with tensions, and and one has to know how to categorize them in order to draw the gospel out and see the paradoxes and to see the juxtaposition positions. Yes, there's ancestor elements in it because our black people were ancestor worshipers. But the um, right. the gospel connotation of it is, as you had stated, we don't have to ancestor worship to know what our ancestors did. All we have to do is go back in history. So let's use the him going back as a sort of depiction of and symbology of reading the archives of our forefathers and seeing that in the archives of our forefathers, we did things wrong. So we are we are interacting with them through literature and through documentation and through history. And we're saying they did this right. They did that right. They did the other thing right. That's called in the scriptures um, going back to the old paths, um, uh, re, re, recovering and, 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 and looking at the old landmarks. That's why you have to have history. You have to have history because history helps you not repeat the same thing over again. Correct. Yes. And, and that's the noble part about it. So we can read the Bible. We can read our own lineages. We can read uh, uh, news data and go back from generation to generation, pick up where they left off, realizing what Solomon said. There's no nothing new under the sun. That which has been is and that which is, is will occur again. So can we learn from our past? Yes, we can. Can yes, we adjust yes. from our past? Yes, we can. By the grace of God, we can actually be better if we look back, make uh, changes in a repentant heart so that we can actually give the forthcoming generations a better chance at a better life. Right. Yes. Did you enjoy? I agree. Did you enjoy my brothers and sisters actually seeing the gospel in in that movie? I really did because you know the thing is, is I never I never thought of it like that until the, the discussion tonight. Yeah. But they they have really touched it, and I'm I'm just really impressed. Yeah. Those I didn't see it. Those are uh, those are those are most of those were my members at Grace, and I'll give ah, I'll give them props. I need to come visit your church then, right? For a whole lot of reasons, because we actually believe that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. Yeah. He's the beginning and, and the end. He's the Amen of God. If he is the Logos, he is the uh, Word of God. As John chapter one puts it in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with the father and all things were made by him. Then as Jesus said, you are searching the scriptures and in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me and that he created every man. He is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. So we know that when we do things in the art world, do things in the science world, we all live, move, and have our being in God, sister. And so we're going to actually tell the gospel one way or the other, no matter how raggedy it is. But for those of mm. us who are true believers, we can see the gospel through those things when we're taught properly to see Jesus and everything. And that's why they are able to deconstruct those movies. And the movies are fine for entertainment's sake. But as I said in my opening monologue, our job is to find meaning in life. It's not just to be entertained. Right. That's true. You know, it's not just to be entertained. It's to find meaning. Don't don't spend. You and I ain't got time to waste breathing in and out, just laughing and joking at good movies. I want to be able to be entertained because God is a God who allows us to enjoy life. But I want to learn from it. I want to live a meaningful life. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Bless you, sister. Bless you. Bless you. Mm-hmm. 
Bless you. I got to take a break. Uh, two lines open, one 888 So, Saints, those of you who are part of Grace and you know you live in a community where we're radical about the gospel, you've just been able to bless a sister who never saw those things. So how, how joyful it is for us to be able to give people lenses by which they can see the truth. This makes this conversation extremely productive, not only inside, but in terms of its apologetic and evangelical objective. Y'all keep at it. Keep at it. I'm thankful. Two lines open, one triple eight, not one line, one triple eight, three six seven five three two nine. There's plenty more to talk about concerning the movie. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back. Two lines open if you want to join the discussion on the meaning and significance of the Black Panther movie. Um, a lot of good callers chiming in on the implications of the movie. Um, just many things, many things. I do want to drive home the moral objective before we close on the program. But we do have two lines open. one 888 if you want to call in to participate. Line number one, let's talk to Abia. Abia in Las Vegas. Abia, are you there? Hi, this oh, is Asia. Okay, well, that, you know what that all that means is that I need I need better glasses. How are you, Asia? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm great. What's your observation to our discussion? So, sir, um, I actually have um, an off-topic question. Is that okay? Not really. You know why? Because we oh. really did make the subject about the movie today. Have you ever okay, listened to the program okay. before? Yes, yes, and I've been listening to your uh, sermons um, since I was 20 years old, and I'm 43 Woo. right now. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, I need to. I need. I have to make an exception to that rule. First of all, I gotta <laughs> ask you. I gotta ask you a question, Asia. So, sure. have I been preaching and teaching that long? Twenty something years. You, you, you have, you have, and um, yeah, you've been a real blessing in my life. I've, I've moved around. Um, you know, the country, and I've been listening to your sermons all this time, and they've helped me get through a lot in my life. Okay, you have a question. Yes, so um, I have a long-winded question, I'm sorry, um, but I was reading Spurgeon's uh, sermon, True Power, True Prayer, Mm -hmm. and in the sermon he says, uh, not merely believe that you shall, but you do receive them, Mm -hmm. Um, count them as if they were received, Mm -hmm. reckon them as if you had them already, Mm -hmm. and act as if you had them, Mm -hmm. act as if you were sure you should have them, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Um, there are also uh, verses in the Bible like, um, therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted you. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that sometimes we pray for things that is not God's will. So my question is, um, can you explain the first two Bible verses that I quoted and uh, explain why we are supposed to act like we have? what we pray for? Right. I don't really need to explain it because you have just observed two two imperatives that uh, operate from different places. So, um, and they may seem like they contradict each other, but they don't. One imperative is to believe that what you ask for or requested um, will occur. That is simply stating that God does not um, tell his children to waffle and to vacillate 
um, when they come to him. That's James chapter one. He that um, uh, is is doubting uh, when he comes to God is like a man that's tossed to and fro. Let him not think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. In other words, the Lord wants you to come to him confidently, Asia, and uh, optimistically when you present your request. But when you talk about John chapter 15, uh, John 15 is saying that the precondition for God answering our prayer is a, a vital communion with the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. That's John 15, 6 and 7, where he says, abide in me and I in you. Um, so, so shall you bring forth much fruit because without me, you can do nothing. And herein is my father glorified that you bring forth much fruit. So God wants us to be blessed in multiple areas in communion with him, uh, in the evangelical work of the gospel in um, our ability to be witnesses in this world and to advance the cause of the gospel, to be able to suffer for him, uh, for his glory sake and many things to boot as well as him providing for our needs, as he says in other places. Um, but John made it clear in first John chapter five, if we ask according to his will, we can know that our petition is heard and that God will never withhold any good thing from us. And so I think you already know Asia that, um, when we pray, we have to abandon that prayer to God, having thought it through and made sure that we are not just praying to get something uh, for the consumption of our own lust. That's James chapter four. Um, you know, you ask and you have not be because you ask amiss that you might consume it on your lust. So the Christian has to know that our prayers have to be rooted in a larger biblically centered and biblically informed way for us to be confident that God would give us what we want. Unfortunately, we have Christians who pray like that today. And at the end of their prayers, they're talking about, I already have received it. Thank you for it, God, and all of that kind of stuff. And I just say, yeah. I say, you know, that's ridiculous. Don't talk like that you're, unless you're omniscient. If you're omniscient and you know that your prayers have uh, been, um, you know, founded upon all the accurate uh, scriptural text that justifies it to be uh, something that God must answer, then do that. But don't be like the pagans. Um, at the end of the day, Jesus laid out the best framework for prayer, Asia, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 and following. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts uh, as we forgive others. Forgive us of our trespasses as we do the same thing. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. That predisposition of heart means that we can trust our heavenly Father whom we hollow to meet our needs once we lay them out before him. In all reality, he meets our needs when we don't pray, doesn't he? Right. Yes, he does. Right. But I would challenge you if you are walking with God and have a vital uh, love for, for the gospel and the grace of God in Christ in your life, and you are compelled to request something, Put it out there, sister. Put it out there and, and, okay. and do what I tell the saints to do. Because I have a praying family at Grace. That's the reason why I do what I do. Because I have a praying family. I, I believe in prayer. I, you're not praying, you know, people that are not talking to God and praying to God, don't expect nothing from our God that does not have first as its foundational basis a radical love for and communion with him. But when you're talking to God and living with him every day and you have needs, tell him and trust him for it. And then re remain sensitive to how providence works to bring about the manifestation of those needs. Because God answers our prayers in several ways of which they are also designed. That is the answer of our prayers. 
are designed for us to determine how well we are walking with God, how clear we are on his word and his ways and how sensitive we are to his providences. Because sometimes God answers our prayers, but we're so thick headed. We don't even see that our prayers have been answered. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Pastor. I really appreciate your time. Listen, it's an honor to know you. If you've been listening to me that long, it's a total honor, my dear sister. Bless you. Um, Three lines open, one 367 Let's keep talking about the P-Panther. Three lines open, one 367 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. We're moving toward the closing minutes of the program. Two lines open, one 367 Thank you, Asia, for that call. Let's go to line four and talk with Calday in Oakland. Calday, what's your thoughts or um, um, observations of our topic tonight? Hey, Pastor Jess, there's a lot of topic. There's a lot that was a lot of good stuff that was said. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things uh, I think I want to say, Tanshia might have hit on it, but it was like uh, the kingdom was hidden. Wakanda was a hidden kingdom, mm-hmm. and it wasn't seen. And it reminds me of the prayer that uh, our Savior was rejoicing in when he said, "I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent." and reveal them unto babes. And uh, and he says that uh, that many prophets and kings and wise men have looked to see these things or desired them and have not seen them and to hear those things. So he turned to his disciples and said that their eyes, they were blessed to be seeing what, you know, what the Lord had revealed to them. I agree. So that was one, that was one observation. The other observation is... Uh, when he went under the soil to go in, into the the other world to speak to his father, one of the conversations he said, the prince, was, uh, I'm not ready to be without you. Right. It showed the uni- unity or the community of the Godhead. Yeah. Um, and the pain that uh, our Savior dealt with when he was praying in the, the garden mm-hmm. and realizing that he was going to be hidden from his father mm-hmm. or his, you know, his face would be turned from him because of the sin that he was carrying mm-hmm. on the cross. So that reminded me of how close and, you know, in perfect unity, the father, the son, and the spirit are in the Godhead. Agreed. Um, the king's servant uh, thing, when the uh, the general was protecting the king, when they were in the uh, interrogation room with the FBI. Right. And uh, he said, if he touches you again, I'm going to nail him to that desk over there. <laughs> uh, you know, that was, that reminded me of Peter when he cut off the ear of the servant yeah, in the garden. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And um, that was, uh, you know, yeah, somebody gave me that. And um, But also the um, the sisters, the, the Amazon sisters actually uh, caused me to think about how, uh, you know, the scripture in Psalm 68, where it says the word was published by a great company. Yes. And it was, you know, the bride of Christ going out and spreading the seed of the gospel. I agree. And um, also the women in Luke chapter 8 and uh, 
Matthew 27, that ministered to Christ both in his ministry and when he was dying on the cross. So that was reminding me of those 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 warrior soldiers because <laughs> that was uh, the loyalty they had for their husband and their king. Indeed, indeed. And, uh, the other one, the last one is uh, the yes-no parable in, I think, Matthew 21. Um, the chief that they finally went to that was sort of the outsider. Sure. Uh, you know, one, the, the parable of the two sons where he says, one son says, no, I'm not going to go work in the field. Right. And the other one says, yeah, I'm going to work. But the go. one that says no yep. ends up going to work. And yep. so it's sort of the parable of, you know, the one that is, you know, the true son of Abraham, but he's, you know, he's honest because he's a sinner. Yep. And so there's a sort of an anti-type in uh, Michael Jordan, the, the, the guy who's playing the... Uh, the king that rises up in sure. Judea. Sure. Because um, had he repented, because he would have been one of the outsiders that also said no, but was an enemy of God that God died for while he was yet in his sin. Yeah. And he repented and came to him in that time of mercy when God showed him his mercy. Without a doubt. So that was huge for me because, you know, we all have the, the, uh, you know, that nature that is like the Psalms 2 that says, you know, I'm casting off these bands. I don't want these bands. That, that was our original Adamic nature. And so um, it had to have mercy revealed to us to have, you know, for us to, to repent and to desire uh, the King of glory. So, and then the last thing is with the ancestors. Um, when they talked about the ancestors, it was kind of like for me, in Deuteronomy 32, and also the genealogy in um, Deuteronomy 32 and Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 10, where God gives the command to teach, you know, Deuteronomy 32 is the Song of Moses, where he says, teach your children, teach the Israel this, so that it'll be unforgettable in the children's ears. Yep. Uh, they'll be reminded when they get into trouble, when they've forsaken me, that I was the God that brought them out of Israel, that their forefathers were brought out of Israel by, because that song will be in their memory and it will be a witness against them. Right. And so for them, the, uh, when, when they talk about the ancestors, we have many counselors uh, where there's safety, and those counselors are, you know, the books, you know, the prophets and the law, you know, Solomon. <laughs> we have, you know, and the Spirit reminds us and brings us counsel um, from those who labored before us, and we can see it in, Deuteronomy, when he sings the song, he says, hey, go ask your fathers, go ask the elders, and they will tell you when I split, you know, the inheritance between the tribes, when I, you know, brought them out of Egypt, when I hovered them all over them like an eagle and took care of them in the desert and uh, clothed them and fed them, and I was the rock that fathered them. So it's huge, and you can see it. It's implied in the genealogy of uh, Genesis chapter 5 from Adam down to Noah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to close out because we're almost one minute out of the program. You gave some excellent observations, by the way. Excellent observations. Excellent observations. So let me tie the knot on that for those of you who, who, who listen to me. You have three covenant paradigms that underscore the framework of biblical theology, and they were all in the movie. Father, son, king, servant, and finally what? Husband and wife. That's the gospel. That's Christ in the church. 
all of that dominated the whole movie. The ethic in the close of the movie is really important, you guys. Um, when the prince's uh, lover prevails and they begin to collaborate and work together in the spread of the resources and blessings of the kingdom, they come to the United Nations and tell them, um, really, the only way this is going to work is to um, is to is to share resources in a civil, respectful way. I would I would take um, I would take um, issue with no walls. Every kingdom has to have walls, but they also should have doors and bridges. That's the nature of the gospel. Anyhow, enjoyed it. Talk to you guys next week. The Lord willing, keep your eyes on Christ. Bye bye. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.